Hello, welcome to You Don't Know Mojack. My name is Ryan. My name is Brent. And this episode, we have come to blast your concept with SST48, Saccharin Trust, We Became Snakes. Now, our listeners will know that Brant and I, we have a huge overlap, I suppose, in terms of musical taste, but we definitely diverge in some areas of musical taste, like Brant likes metal and rock, and I like really good music. Uh-huh. It will come as no surprise to uh, the listeners that Brant and I are big fans of this particular record, because it's excellent. So I'm really looking forward to getting into that one. Yeah. Brant, wondering if you have got any spiels. Yeah, I've got a few. Lay them on me. Okay. Um, so this book's come up a few times, but I, I've never actually bought it because, well, I'll get to the because in a minute, but I bought the audiobook version of John Doe's Under the Big Black Sun. Right. And the reason I didn't buy it was confirmed by listening to it. I already knew, every, I think, virtually everything in the book. There's nothing in there that wasn't in, say, We Got the Neutron Bomb. But the audiobook is read by the people that wrote the chapters. So when that book first came out, I was all excited because I thought it was John Doe's History of X. No, it's and not. It's not. It's not no, at all. No, it's like a so-so read. Very so-so. But the audiobook version is pretty cool. So if anybody hasn't read this book, it's basically broken up into chapters written by different people that were in bands. Uh, like Dave Alvin's got a good chapter from The Blasters. Uh, one of my favorites is the Jack Grissom from TSOL chapter. And he reads it, of course, so they all do. So it's it's great to hear them. Watt and, and Rollins from the SST uh, end of things. But like I said, nothing you haven't heard before, but it's always cool to hear from those people. I really like Jack's chapter, cause he, Grissom, because he kind of, you know, almost everybody else in the book is kind of talking about how hardcore ruined the scene. And he kind of... <laughs> shuts that whole theory down pretty hard and kind of stands up for the the next generation that came in. And and the big takeaway for me is the Screamers. Everybody just worshipped the Screamers. Yeah. Yeah. They were so different back then, for sure. And we're going to... Uh, I think we've got a Screamer on this record tonight, too. Oh, yeah. Paul Rosler. Oh, I got a cool reissue. It, it came out probably about six months ago, but I, I finally got around to picking it up. It's this Scream... NMC17, they're calling it. It's no more censorship reissue. Do you have it or have you seen it? I've I've got the original. I haven't bought the reissue. What's on the reissue? Well, I think it's the same tracks. It's been remixed and remastered uh, from the original tapes. I don't know. It's a cool package. It's a really good album. It comes with this cool book. It's like a replica of like a Peter Stahl's notebook. And it's pretty cool. It's got a lot of great pictures in it, some lyrics. Uh, it's dedicated to Naomi Peterson. She took most of the photos in it. So a little bit of an SST connection there. So I thought I'd mention that. Yeah, I am I mean, I'm a big Scream fan, but kind of pre-Dave Grohl Scream is my favorite, the early Discord stuff. Yeah, I like this album quite a bit. It's a little heavier and it's got some guitar wankery, which I like. Like some, what do you call that? Uh, the pinch, what do you call it? Uh, Pinched harmonics? Yeah. This one's got more of finger tapping. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I like Scream, but that's kind of where they lost me. Did you ever get into Wool? Uh, yeah, they're cool. I have the, what's that, Burl? What's that EP called? Bud Spawn? Is that the one? 
Bud Spawn. Yeah, I have that. That's all I that have. That EP's though. killer. Their full length is good too, yeah. and you can find it for like a buck in any used bin in any town. It's good. What else? I'm wondering, Ryan, I know you're on a John Coltrane kick right now, if there is such thing as a Coltrane kick, I guess. Uh, I'm wondering if you got that, the Lost album, Both Directions, at once, it's called? 100%. And? What's the verdict? I uh, I devoured it the week I yep. got it, and uh, in anticipation of the new Kamasi Washington finally showing up in my mailbox, but that Coltrane, uh, I bought the expanded double LP, and... It's worth every penny. If you're a fan of Coltrane of that era, it's it's not throwaways. It's great stuff. And I mean, some of it is early versions and alternate takes of stuff that show up on albums of that era, but it's it's killer. You got to get it. Yeah, it's really good. The only other thing I wanted to mention, Ryan, is we have a new post going up on our blog tonight. Friend of the pod, Michael T. Fournier, uh, did a cool thing. Uh, it's called If... Ichiro journaled like Henry Rollins. That's all I'll say about it, but everybody should go check that out. Ichiro. Ichiro? Yeah. Okay. It's about Ichiro I'm... Suzuki if he if he journaled like Henry Rollins. It's awesome. Okay, well I'm not a baseball fan, so but uh yeah, everyone should check that out and thanks to thanks for Michael for for writing it. Yeah, it's awesome. And I I will say you can enjoy it if you're not a baseball fan. You kind of at least have to have some familiarity with Henry Rollins' book, Get in the Van, to fully appreciate it. But it's on a whole other level if you're a baseball fan and you've read Get in the Van. So it's a great blog. Well, I've got one of those two, so some of the jokes <laughs> I got. Oh, hey, Ryan, one more thing I wanted to mention. Way back when, I think one of the first books we mentioned on this podcast is you told me about this prodigal rogerson book and then you you gifted me a copy of it yeah man i finally got got around to reading it so it's a quickie. it's a it's a quickie it's the story of the circle jerks bassist roger rogerson and it's quite quite the tale so yeah no doubt he was a strange fellow yeah but it's an it's an interesting little read so it made me want to made me wish there was a circle jerks book Really? Yeah, the closest there is is Keith's, I bet. Yeah, true. What do you have? I only have one spiel, and it's based on a recommend from you a number of episodes ago. It's the In on the Kill Taker 33 and a Third book. Oh, yeah. I fully agree. It's one of the better ones, for sure. I've read some of those editions of like albums that I'm a huge fan of and been totally let down. This one does not yeah. let you down. It's more than a book on Ill and the Kill Taker, though. It it has a fair amount of like just basic Fugazi history, how they formed, which is pretty good. And it also has uh, a bit of history in terms of, you know, what the music scene was like when they were coming up around this era of their output. And so it's really good. Other than the the dance of days book this is probably i don't know i i'm i'm having a hard time thinking of anywhere else where there's a really good book with lots of good information on fugazi really enjoyed it and it caused me to go back and basically re-listen to all the records in order me too yeah yeah me too in order and holy man fugazi were so good 
Yeah, it's quite the discography. I like that chapter you kind of just referenced where they're talking about the, he's just naming all the albums that came out the same year as like Killtaker came out. Like in 93, just yeah. the output of amazing, uh, you know, especially American, I guess, uh, indie rock music was just crazy. It's a lot like Michael's book on uh, Double Nickels, yeah. wouldn't you say? Oh, yeah, for sure. In the sense that, I mean, it goes song by song. The difference, of course, is that this one, there's like, you know, 10, whereas in Michael T. Fournier's, there's 42 songs to go through. Yeah. What about what I was mentioning, their, um, their assessment of uh, Steady Diet of Nothing? How did you listen to that? I listen to it as one of my all-time favorite Fugazi records. Like it's, uh, I mean, they describe it as having a really dry production on it, and it does, and that's part of the reason I like it. I, I, yeah. I really like how it sounds. It sounds really live and intimate, and I, I like all eras of Fugazi, and they there's just like there's not a dud. And I was trying to think of other bands that are like that, and the one that came to my mind most of all was actually Jesus Lizard. Yeah, they don't really have any stinkers, do they? No, just in terms of like solid output of albums and a like a legendary live band, I kind of put those two side by side. So anyways, it was a great recommend. I think he does mention that the Jesus Lizard was the only band that could come close to touching Fugazi live. Yeah, but then he said not even close, though. Yeah, disagree with him on that one. Yeah, me too. I would disagree. Anyways, uh, what about history lesson number one? Sure, let's do it. History lesson, part one. All right, so the last Saccharin Trust record we went to was World Broken, and that was a an improv album with Mike Watt on bass. And I seem to recall, Brent, it was Joe Carducci who kind of sent some info on that about how Watt filled in or, or kind of stepped up to the challenge of that idea of doing an improv album because the bass player that they were working in, Bob Fitzer, didn't really feel up to it or not ready or wasn't really his thing. And the first thing that struck me about listening to this record again so many, like a number of times and really deeply this week was that like, dude, this guy could have played bass on World Broken easily. Yeah. He's 17 years old, I'm pretty sure. Joe Biza mentions in the interview as well. Yeah. Oh, we should mention that too. Yeah, we've got part two of the Joe Biza interview tonight. Thanks for uh, for everyone who's sticking with us on that one. I know the sound quality is not the best. This one's maybe a little bit better than the first one. We really struggled with it when we were when we were recording it, but I think it's worth your time. And Joe's a you know a really interesting guy. So we get into a yeah we get into a lot of stuff in this interview, including. Uh, some stuff we're going get, to be getting to in the next couple of years. He talks a little bit about Universal Congress of and all kinds of stuff. So Yeah, I didn't really appreciate that Bob Fitzer was that young, though. And maybe it was because, like, maybe the reason he didn't want to play on World Broken is he just felt intimidated. I think so. Yeah. I mean, he's a monster on bass, pretty clearly influenced by a lot of fusion jazz players from the late 70s and early 80s like obviously Jaco Pastorius uh, is a big influence on his playing but fits in really good with the band on the record he uh 
apparently was really into prog rock, I remember Joe Biza mentioning. Also interesting, too, to have uh, Steve Moss join the band as kind of a full member on saxophone on this record. Yeah, Steve Moss, for me, really makes this album. Like, his playing is pretty pretty awesome and really amps up, like, the jazz jazz side of the band. He, yeah. he went on to play with Universal Congress of. He played on a Firehose album, Mystery Machiner, Mr. Machinery Operator. He played on the song Hellhole. Yeah, well, Fitzer played bass in Universal Congress of and the Jack Brewer Band after this record. Yeah, he played on a couple of uh, Jack's New Alliance releases, I think. Yeah, I mean, every player on this record is just on point. It's just like World Broken and Surviving You Always and Pagan Icons. Like, whatever lineup of Saccharine Trust you've got, they are at the top of of like musicianship, songwriting, and a solid record. Yeah, they were really a force. Uh, Gary Jacobelli was a, I think, a Pedro guy. He's on this record. Yeah, he was in the Plebs and one other band. Um, oh, Peer Group. Yep. Both of which have got releases that were uh, re-released on Water Under the Bridge Records. Yeah, the plebs have a new one on Water Under the Bridge that was recorded by Joe Carducci, I believe. Live cassette. Ordered mine. Right on. Uh, and there's a, a few other people that play on it. Paul Rosler plays on this album. We've seen seen him a lot. And uh, he's in DC3. He's got a, at least one solo album, maybe two, I think, that are going to come out way later on SST. And uh, on one of the tracks, Louise Balick. Don't know a whole lot about her, but she also played in the Jack Brewer band, I believe, later on. And what about, uh, did you ever figure out who Lame Dude on Acoustic 12-string was? No, I don't know who that is. I meant to ask Joe, and I don't think I did. So there was a bit of chatter on one of the SST Facebook groups where Jack Brewer was actually chipping in and talking about, like, specifically referencing Lame Dude on Acoustic 12-string because yep. this album came up, uh, but they still didn't reveal his, that person's identity. So if anyone else knows it out there, let us know. Yeah. Should we get to the interview with Joe? Let's do it. Well, let's go into We Became Snakes. So that came out in 1986. Do you know, was it recorded much before it came out? It seemed like at that time there was kind of a backlog maybe of, of stuff that was recorded that SST was trying to get out. Yeah, I'm not sure about how it's... Well, I think... Uh... SST, they, they're putting so many things out. I don't, you know, I, I don't quite remember anymore, but a lot of our things would be delayed or pushed back because they wanted to put something else out instead earlier, you know, that kind of thing. Probably what happened. So I, I don't remember. Again, so you guys have to do another record. Back in trust, hardly would do any records, you know. So, yeah. uh, okay, so you started writing songs for that. And that, for me, was really trying to. Uh, a jazz influence, you know? Yeah, for sure. Was that yeah, a conscious you know, decision you guys made? Yeah, I think I kind of forced that decision. And, or not forced it, but I kept trying to, you know, advocate that kind of idea. But in the, you know, in hindsight, I think it's a, it was a mistake because, the, well, maybe not, but, you know, it's sort of, I, I want a jazz band. It's weird, you know, I'm trying to do this kind of thing with Jack's doing his thing and, all these other, he had Tony, his ideas, and Bob, and his ideas. And then we got a sax player, Steve Moss. Yeah. So it was sort of a punk jazz band, you know. And in a way, for me, it's, 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 
precursor to Universal Congress of a band I had later later on on SST. With so Steve as well, over, right? Yeah, with Steve, yeah. So then it really started to happen, that kind of idea. But that, that album kind of reflects the beginning of that thought for me, you know. Was Jack on board with kind of with that direction as well? Not a hundred percent, no. And some things, but some things he just, you know, he didn't like a lot of that. And on that album, there's some songs where there's Jack's not on it, or there's some songs, there's things where it, it, it's sort of a splitting point in everyone. That album reflects that, I think. You know, it, everyone wants to do these different kind of things in a band, you know, but we're all in the same group, so it, it's kind of a claustrophobic being in a band, you know, like that, <laughs> for everyone. Do you think that contributed yeah. to the band ending? Because you, this was the last album oh, yeah. you guys did for until yeah, sure. yeah, the nineties, sure. right? Yeah, of course. It was just a, that's that's just sort of a documented that, I guess. Yeah, you know, I mean, nowadays it's funny because now, I mean, I'm older now. I play music, but everyone does different things, and we're in different. I'm in groups, and so you know, different groups and trying different things out and. At that time, instead of you in the band, you know, we're in, I'm in Sacred Trust, you know, you don't have another band, you know? Right. So you have ideas, and uh, you don't have anywhere to, to use those ideas, but in your own band you're in, you know, you want the one band, you know? So that's kind of what it was, and with all the musicians, you know? So we all just, well, I want to try this, I want to try that. Every guy wants to try something, you know, that maybe the other guys don't really want to go along with. So I think... A healthier way to do it, or more creative, would be for people to have different outlets. You know, and too bad that that wasn't around back then. You know, well, it's way more acceptable now. It seems for people to be in multiple bands back then. That just exactly. didn't happen as often. Yeah, at that time, it wasn't. That was sort of an odd thing to say. You know, I'm gonna try a different band for this band, another band for this other thing. Now everybody does that. No, yeah, exactly. Not everyone does that, and that's, it's a great idea, you know? Yeah. Because, you know, the way I see it, because the music of a group, you know, a band is the most important part of it, you know? You have, you're, you're playing, you're making music with a group of people. The music you make together is the most important thing. There shouldn't be sort of conflicts and egos involved or any kind of restrictions or anything. I don't know. It just, it just seems like, uh, better that way you know if you, if you say ah, I'm gonna try my uh, whatever idea out in this band but it doesn't work with that band try it out with your other band you know <laughs> it'll work for that other band you know so it's just the music to me the music dictates the you know more than the individual so that's how it is now at least for me and that's kind of what broke up exactly trust in a way we all wanted different things you know and we, it just couldn't exist together you know each, each musician wanted to do something different and it wouldn't work out as a band and what, even now when I hear live performances or something I kind of go oh gosh it doesn't sound so good for me at least there's some good things too yeah well but, I, I think this is a high watermark for the band for me like uh -huh. do you do you feel that way like did what was kind of the do, were you around long that. enough as a band to kind of play these songs live, or? Oh yeah, those things are played live. Yeah, 
snakes, the We Became Snakes material. Yeah, there's a live, uh, there's a live um, SST record, Past Lives. Right. So that sort of, that sort of has a, a live person to those, those songs and where it was going to go. That's sort of the last kind of the clue of what was going on with Back and Press before it split up. You know, so that, I think it just, at some point, we just couldn't keep doing that together and everyone wanted to try something different. Right. You know, we just split the band up and Jack started his band and I started Universal Comedy Sub and Tony had a left insane kind of frog, punk frog band and I think Bob was in the band for a while and I don't know, his band. So we just tried, you know, we all went our own directions. Who would you have been playing with by this point? Were you still kind of playing with I guess Black Flag was probably almost done. Were you, were you still playing with punk bands, or had you kind of moved into oh, well, more of a jazz scene? Well, I mean, when Jack and Trust were up, I had Universal Congress up, so um, it was a different scene then. So, you know, at that point, I kind of moved away from the punk scene. Right. It was more the L.A. downtown, because I lived in downtown, and the downtown scene, L.A. scene. Uh, yeah, it was sort of a breakout from uh, punk rock in a way, but it's still being kind of punk, you know. Yeah, I moved away from that, you know, with, with Universal Congress. Like, especially when we find, and then we toured too. SST recorded, let us record some albums. Yeah. You know, we did this records for SST, Universal Congress, stuff, and then uh, started a tour with that band. We put our records out, and they gave us a little bit of uh, uh, advance money for our records we did. Our sessions, and then we bought a van and we toured a lot in the U.S. The Universal Power Stuff started touring the U.S. And that was exciting, man, because we were just coming out with our punk jazz sound, you know. And we were hip to jazz, you know, so we knew all the dudes, you know, and we, were, and we do our own fucked up versions of, of those kind of songs, you know. So, yeah, we'll just play this Warner Coleman song, and, you know, even though we can't really play it that well, you know. <laughs> just like I would play you know, a regular song back in the punk rock days so it was sort of the same attitude so that yeah we started going to a different direction it was a different era too you know was there a and scene for, really was there a scene for your kind of music like do you feel like you got you know uh, kind of respected in the jazz community or did you still kind of have a foot in like the indie rock side of things yeah, I think mostly the indie rock thing. A little bit of the, not really the jazz thing. The indie rock thing, uh, there were some probably, uh, there were some people saying, wow, this is kind of interesting. Okay. You know, there, it was a sort of a sideline compared to things that were really going on in the indie rock scene. You know, just more, you know, just, yeah, we were just sort of an offshoot weird thing. And uh, I think when we went to Europe, that was, that was, different for us because uh, then there was, a, there was a scene for us there you know i'm sure there was uh, a, a band yeah. that, that i really follow here in canada called no means no who has a jazzier bent they always did much better in in europe it seems yeah i'd hear about them all the time we i mean we got went to europe kind of late we went there in 89 at universal congress of and uh Roots had gone there since the mid '80s. That was, you know, somehow the Germans really loved. They, they just really loved those experimental rock groups in the U.S. You know, and it was just great because there was an audience for it there, and 
small audience and or bigger audiences too. I'm surprised you guys never did anything with alternative tentacles because they were kind of doing some of that kind of stuff, like say Dog Faced Hermans or some of those kinds of bands. Yeah, I think it's just a matter of uh, hooking things up. I was approached by someone from that, from those guys, but I didn't follow through or something, uh, that kind of thing. And uh, I recorded with Enemy Records at some point after SST. And then I did a couple of things with Enemy. And we had a good booking agent and, and uh, we had a lot of shows. We go there and our, our first tour was something like, I don't know, seven or eight weeks. Wow. Yeah, I couldn't believe it. And we were playing almost every night. And we're making a lot of money then because uh, I think it had something to do with this, you know, this magazine, Specs from Germany. I don't know if you've heard of Specs magazine. Mm, no. Yeah, S-P-E-X. Okay. It was an influential music magazine, pretty hip, you know, in the 80s. Okay. Intelligent music magazine. And it was and, German? Uh, it's German magazine, yeah, German. Universal Congress said we were on a bill at, in New York on the CBGB. It's one of those, um, I forget what they call it. The name. It's kind of one of those uh, things, the seminar things that have shows all over town and you know talks and stuff like that i forget what it was called back then right like but, a uh, south by southwest kind of a thing almost kind of maybe like that, something like yeah that, yeah or an earlier version of that yeah maybe in the late 80s and i remember okay sst had a night at cbgb town garden was it i think they put a record on SST. they were the main band and okay. there were a lot of other groups you know and we were we were included in the show in the night, you know. Right. But we were gonna play first and last. slot. <laughs> <laughs> first and last. And wow. <laughs> oh geez, wow, I gave it the first and last slot. Yeah, you could play twice. <laughs> we played first and then there of course there's not that many people there, like twenty five people in the audience or something. And he just played, what the heck, he played the best he could. And then we went in the back room and we were just hanging around. And some lady comes in, some German lady, and wants to talk to us, do an interview. Sure, we do an interview, you know, we start talking to her. And in the past, we would do interviews with people, but they, they didn't know anything about jazz, you know, so when we speak seriously about our, our ideas, they didn't understand anything. So we just to be sarcastic and make these comments and joke around. So we kind of went into that kind of spiel. We're talking to this German lady in the beginning. And she kind of took our sarcasm seriously and says, well, you, I can't remember what we said. She's thinking like, what? And then we realized, wait a minute. She's serious about what she's asking. So then we started talking to her about things. And, and then she was really good. And interviewing us, and you know, she had some great questions, and you know, it was just interesting talking. We never talked to a person like that about music, you know. Right. So that was the end of that interview, and they did a piece on SST, this, this magazine, and they interviewed uh, three or four bands, and did another piece on SST, and Universal Congress that was one of the pieces in the magazine. So that created interest in Germany and the German-speaking countries like Austria. And parts of Switzerland. So we were in New York again a year later and he goes, uh, I was talking to Elliot Sharp, you know, and he goes, Elliot, you know, 
he goes there, I go, okay, I'll ask him. I thought maybe it's a bit too intrusive to ask him. Right. You know, but I say, hey, Elliot, you're having a beer. So, so who books you in Europe? Oh, hey, man, here you go. He says, really <laughs> open. Here, let me give you that. He takes his wallet, I give you a card. This guy, Herbert Eagle. <laughs> Whoa! Like, wow! Nice. You're all nervous to yeah. ask him, and he's. <laughs> yeah, I was nervous to ask him. Yeah, yeah, right. And he says, "No, man, here, here check that. Talk to this guy." Oh, cool, man. Elliot was so nice to me. You know? Yeah. So we talked to that guy, and he he just started booking these shows there. You know, 1989. I mean, we think, "Wow, I can't believe this." You know, SSC couldn't do that. And Chuck says, "No, you know, with global, no, you, you got no way. You got, there's nothing for you guys over there." But once you connected with this German guy, we got these shows. Seems like they kind of treat bands a bit better over there, too. Yeah, at that time. We didn't know anything about that. It wasn't a big show. It's like a couple hundred people, hundred people, whatever. Yeah. You know? But, yeah, it was interesting for us to do that. That was a great period for me in 1989, touring over there. You know, like that. Back to We Became Snakes. I'm wondering who is uh, Gary Jacobelli? It's Jacobelli. Jacobelli. Yeah, he's a friend of mine. Well, he, he doesn't talk to me anymore, but we were friends at a certain period of time. Very creative guy. I met him at school in art classes. Okay. And uh, in San Pedro. He just he does visual art. He's right. He does writing. And he was in one of the Pedro bands, uh, uh, San Pedro groups, punk groups. So he was also play guitar. Okay. And he did the cover for that album, yeah. Yeah. He's in uh, Craig, you ever read Craig, you ever seen Craig at Bars in a book about San Pedro? San yep. Pedro Punks? So Gary writes something in the beginning, he writes some stuff in there, so. The Wailing of a Town book? Yeah, right. Gary's yep. in there. Okay. But he's sort of a, in a way, Gary's sort of a difficult person, so. He doesn't talk to any of us anymore. Like, he doesn't talk to me. He doesn't talk to Mike. He gets angry and then just sort of turns his back on us, you know. So that's mm. how he is. He, he's the guy I he won't even talk to me after you know he's upset about something and he just sort of doesn't want to speak to me or any of us, you know. That's too bad. Yeah, it is too bad because he's kind of losing out on a lot of things that he can be involved in, but. Do you keep in, in touch with a lot of people from the SST days? Not really, no. No. Um, yeah, my life is surrounded by things I do now, so that's sort of a thing in the past for me. For sure. You know, Mike, of course, Mike and I are old friends. I just played a gig with opening up for him uh, on Tuesdays, so I see him, you know, with pals, you know. What are you doing and now, musically? A lot of different things. So I have a band called the Nickelodeonics, which is bass player at the University of Congress of, and a great drummer, Wayne Griffin, and Vince Maroney plays reed instruments. So it's, but it's sort of similar to University of Congress of. And the Sacrum Trust, that's the thing I wanted to say, that the Sacrum Trust that formed afterwards when, we were, when the band was reformed is actually the real Sacrum Trust. Brian Christopherson and Chris Stein, those guys, we've been playing together longer than all of the early history of Sack and Trust. So, longer than you were together night. the first time around? Exactly. So yeah. we, we formed the band in the late 90s, 
96, or I forget now, 97. Jack asked, you want to start playing? I said, okay. And then we found those guys. And that is really the true Sacco and Trust to me because the chemistry is so perfect with all of us. It just turned into another group, you know, and we can just, it just never dies and the band just exists. We're not, there's no conflicts, you know, we can write music and do stuff. The only problem is now that the bass player, Chris, has cancer, so oh. I'm not sure what's going to happen. So, yeah. He, I'm sorry to hear he, that. He, yeah, he has lung cancer. So he's very, uh, he's very sick, but I hope he pulls through that, you know, that that's the real factor in trusting me. You, you we'll guys, are, you guys part. have still been playing shows. Yeah, we play shows in Los Angeles. We don't do any of these uh, punk festivals. We're not ever, you know, it's not like oh, Sacred Crest reform. We, we play new stuff, you know. We yeah. play old stuff, but it, it's just a band that just we're not really, you know, we have jobs and stuff, so you know, it's not important to have to do those things. We just we just try to do some great music, you know. That's what we try to do, you know. Right on. Well, best of luck, Joe, and uh, thanks a lot for taking the time to talk to us. It was really fun talking to you. All right, man. Thanks for talking to me. All right. Thanks, Joe, for uh, being on being on the podcast. We really appreciate it, and it's always great to hear from these guys. I have a, I have a quote I found from Joe Biza on the split of the band, because they split up after this. Yes. He basically, you know, this uh, he kind of sums this up in the interview, but here's the quote I found. By the time we split up, it seemed as if every member of the band had his own musical direction for the group. This created a problem because together I felt we were not truly supporting the music we were making at that time. We each had our own agenda. We all wanted our own individual ideas to take shape and steer the music. Now, what doesn't make sense to me about that is... The albums Jack Brewer is going to do on New Alliance don't sound that much different from this album, nor does Universal Congress of, which uh, Bob Fitzer went on to play in, Steve Moss went on to play in. Did Tony Cicero? I mean, I, I had the same thought. I mean, them sounding like they're going in a number of different directions is what makes this record sound good. Yeah. Like, that's, that's kind of what struck me about it. Hey, speaking of Tony Cicero... Uh, one of our listeners, Jeff Jeff Kaplan, let us know on uh, social media that he's a different drummer from the Tony Cicero that's in the band Rhythm Collision. We must have said that on one of the podcasts. Oh, uh, maybe. He knows this from asking the Rhythm colli col uh, Collision Tony Cicero after seeing the band. He, he approached him at the merch table and said, are you the same Tony from... Saccharin Trust, and the guy just laughed and said, no, it's a different guy, but I get asked that from time to time. Oh, yeah. So <laughs> We might have said that, yeah. Uh, the only, like, the drummer that sticks in my mind from Saccharin Trust is, is uh, I think it's Roger Hodgson, who goes on to play in Slovenly. Okay. He's from Pagan Icons. Yeah, I'm interested to find out. I, I think I knew where Tony Cicero ended up going, but I can't recall it now. Do you want to talk about the artwork and then we'll we'll talk about the music? Let's do that. Okay. So the album artwork is done by Gary Jacobelli. Yeah. And it's kind of I don't know, it it, all, it looks like it's pencil crayon, I guess. Maybe it's pastel. It's not painting and uh 
the only thing that I could really pick out in it is there are a couple of snakes on the front. Like I'm trying to connect the artwork to the album and there are a couple of snakes that look like the necks of guitars. Yeah. Maybe that's what's meant by we became snakes. Well, there are a few other snakes on the cover, but those ones stick out. Yeah, it's cool artwork. And maybe the B and B there is for Brewer and Biza. I don't know. Yeah, maybe. It's uh, it works. I think for the album. Oh yeah. Yeah. There's uh, liner notes by Raymond Pettibone. This is probably one of the last things he did for SST. I bet. Yeah, and it's very Pettibone esque, like. It is, it's aimless, but it's all kind of connected. And what struck me about it is this paragraph, it's, it seems like a whole bunch. I mean, every now and then, of course, it references Sacrum Trust, but it seems like it's made out of statements or vignettes that you would see in his artwork. You know, we will have like a picture of, you know, a baby and a gun and, and a right. cop and a, and a whatever or or Gumby or or something in his later work and he'll have a whole bunch of words that don't necessarily seem connected but they are and that's kind of what this paragraph struck me as just a whole bunch of that yeah there is a, a lyric sheet that comes in the record and it's got a, it's got a quote on there that I really like it says never spiel before the meal <laughs> yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah I only have it on CD but it's on there too is it yeah, my uh, liner notes on the CD has has two pictures on the inside, photographs. Yeah, same with the the lyric sheet. They look kind of dudded up. They look they look pretty badass, eh? Pretty darn badass, I would say. They look kind of like I don't know, like uh, maybe it's just because I just came from the ocean today, but they look like they are a whole bunch of like badass musician fishermen almost. Well, they kind of are, probably. Yeah, I mean, yeah. but that's that's what they really look like, you know? Yeah. They definitely look badass. Do you want to talk about the, the tunes? Sure, well, we should maybe... Do we want to mention um, this record was produced by Mike Watt? I think I did say that, but... Oh, okay. Yeah. And engineered by Ethan James. Right. Now, can you find out on yours where it was recorded, though? No. That's a question I had before we actually get to the tracks. No, I don't know, but probably where did Ethan James record? Radio Tokyo, I thought. Mm. Is that where Double Nichols is recorded? Yeah, so Double Nichols is re- recorded at Radio Tokyo by Ethan James. Hmm. And like, isn't Ethan James the guy from Blue Cheer? That's the guy. Yeah, so he's Mr. Radio Tokyo. Pretty much any time we've got something, Ethan James or Radio Tokyo, they uh, they overlap. Okay, I'm looking at. Three-way tie for last. Recorded yeah. by recorded by Ethan James at Radio Tokyo. I'm gonna I'm gonna just say that this was recorded at Radio Tokyo and someone will correct us if it was not. And I was just going back through my notes from a previous episode on your question as to where Tony Cicero went on to. Yep. And I don't see him showing up on Universal Congress of or the Jack Brewer band. He ended up putting out or playing on, I should say. Uh, on a record by the Mechalodiacs okay. from 1994. And then on a 7-inch by a band called Dry Rot from 2009. And from a 12-inch from a band called Black Love 
in 2015. Everything else is saccharine trust. Maybe he is the guy in Rhythm Collision. Yeah, that guy's a liar. <laughs> Let's get to the songs now. History Lesson, Part 2. Side 1, Track 1, We Became Snakes, the title track, written by the whole band, Biza, Brewer, Cicero, and Fitzer. What'd you think of that one? It's awesome. Yeah. Killer opening track, Steve Moss steals the show. Yeah, that's a good one. Track 2, Drugstore Logic. Again, credited to the whole band. Yeah, that's the one that I was quoting from at the end of the last podcast. I don't know if you caught that. Yeah, meet me in the back of the drugstore. I got the world inside my trench coat. That's an awesome lyric. <laughs> so good. <laughs> yeah. I thought the bass tone, like, not the just the playing, but the tone was very Watt-esque. Yeah, I don't know. I see a fair amount of difference in terms of the tone from this guy, like Fitzer and Watt, but I can see why. Yeah. It's very round sounding. Third track, Frankie on a Pony, written by Joe Biza. This one's very jazzy. Has a bass solo and a drum solo in it. The sax is smoking again, Steve Moss. It's like an eight-minute jazz song, basically. Yep. Track four, The Need. This was like a slower jazz. I, I wrote down that this sounds like a movie to me. Like a soundtrack. Yeah. Yeah. Like a film noir type of thing or something. Well, you know, Brewer's lyrics are, I mean, it, it'd be interesting. I can't find hardly anything on this record. There are a couple of blogs or whatever that mention it. And uh, I can't remember which one it was that I got onto, but they were talking about how this record is kind of thematic about like an, an eighties wasteland. Oh, and you can see that thread in the lyrics and the, the atmosphere created by this song, I would say is aligned with that as well. Yeah. Flip it over. And we have for her while again, credited to the whole band. I love Jack Brewer on this one. The way he kind of says the words. In a life of distractions, she takes her excursions. <laughs> it's awesome. They do a little pigment vehicle thing in it. Oh, yeah. Yep. I love it when Saccharin Trust sounds like pigment vehicle. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this one's all over the place musically, but it's good. Um, you think it's over and then... Joe Biza plays this kind of wicked palm-muted riff, and Steve Mo uh, Moss just comes in and rips shit up on the sax, and uh, then it goes back to the main riff. It's one of the better songs for me. Yeah. Effort to Waste. It's another Biza and Brewer co-write. And we've seen this one before on Pagan Icons. Yeah. Is this one, is this kind of the same as that one? It's the same song, but redone. Okay. And very differently. Yeah. Like, it's got a totally different vibe. And you can still kind of pick out in it um, the one melody on the bass, for sure, when it's uh, transitioning during the verse. You can definitely hear that kind of thread still. But this is this is redone, for sure. Effort to waste yeah. in uh, the mid-'80s, I guess. I like, at the end, how Jack Brewer is like, the pain is real, ooh, ow! <laughs> <laughs> that part's really good he would have been a sight to see hey oh yeah yeah it would be great if they did a tour yeah joe really 
shreds on this one too. Yeah. I wonder if anyone would go to see Saccharin Trust outside of the West Coast and maybe New York. Mm, probably not. Yeah. What a shame. Not enough for them to tour, no, I guess. No. What a no. shame. Yeah. Track seven, the Redeemer. Yeah. You know, like it, it would be really good if they could get on a tour, you know, like with a with a bigger band. Like, yeah, if someone took them along, right? Yeah, that would be the way to do it. Track seven, The Redeemer. Again, that one's credited to the whole band. I just wrote I love the riff on this one. Yeah, there's some excellent riffology on this record. Yep. Longing for Ether. That's the whole band minus Jack, but subbed in Gary Jacobelli. Jack Brewer's not on this one. It's kind of a cool jazz funk thing with Gary doing poetry, and Joe Biza does some vocals on it too. Steve Moss, as he is throughout the whole album, is really awesome on this this track. Yeah, he rips. Yep. Uh, and then the last song, Belonging to October, is kind of different from everything else on the album, but it works. It's uh, uh, Jack Brewer doing acoustic guitar, Louise Balick on accordion, and uh, Steve Moss rips it up pretty good on, on harmonica, on some like bluesy, almost like country-style harmonica. It kind of sounds like that guy that plays harp for like Willie Nelson. Yeah, this song sounded like it reminded me of kind of sitting around a campfire for some reason. Mm -hmm. I don't know if that makes any sense to you. Yep, that guy that plays with Willie Nelson, I can't remember his name right now, but he's really famous harmonica player. He plays on that Super Suckers country route, uh, album. Must have been Must high. Must have been high, yeah. Yep. The last good Super Suckers record. Yeah. Agreed. That's all I have. Great record. Yeah, it's, it's awesome. Most of these, you know, by the time we're done the episode, I'm done listening to them for a good while. But this one I'm going to keep going with. This is really good. It's one of the better ones we've done for me in you know yeah. in the last 20 episodes. Yeah, it's a really solid record. I mean, I, I just feel like Sacred Trust is one of the hidden gems on SST that is really poorly recognized. Like, uh, you know. They're totally underrated. Everybody talks about pagan icons. Don't get me wrong, it's cool. But, you know, this record, man, is phenomenal, I would say. Do you like this record better than... Surviving You Always? Mm, that's tough. That's a really good one, too. Yeah, I, I, that one still kind of edges out We Became Snakes for me, but they're neck and neck. And it's a yeah. shame, too. We're not going to have Saccharine Trust like a full length again until their past lives record, which is like a live compilation. That's SST 149. This is their, la this is their last uh, studio album for like 15 years yeah and then that studio album uh which the great is one it? is dead great one is dead yeah so the great one is dead that one came out in 2001 15 years later and it came and went instantly impossible to find until it was finally re-released co-re-release by water under the bridge and recess records last year on a double lp so it's easy to get now, thankfully, and folks should check out that one too. You you yeah. gotta dive gotta dive deep into Sacrament Trust. You will not be disappointed. Yeah. Ballot result? Do it. Ballot result.
I could pick almost any one of these songs. Which one? Which one did you pick? Uh, you know what? I really like Drugstore Logic. Yeah, that one's really good. It just floors me. Yeah. I could do that one. I could do We Became Snakes. I could do Frankie on a Pony. I could do For Her While, The Redeemer, Longing for Ether. Let's do Drugstore Logic. Let's do it. Ryan, what's next week? Oh, you're going to like this one, Brant. It's the Meat Puppets again. SST49, the Out My Way EP. Awesome. Only uh, only two more episodes until Minute Flag. <laughs> Can't wait. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Hey, you never know. Yeah, you never know. Hey, everyone. Thanks for listening. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Tumblr, all at Mojack Pod. We post all kinds of info and tons of pictures of the bands and albums we discuss on the show. Our blog is mojackpod.com. Please check it out for some exclusive content. If you like what we do and want to support the podcast, the best way to do that is to tell your friends about the show. Subscribing, rating, and reviewing on iTunes is also appreciated. We love hearing your opinions, corrections, and feedback, so feel free to post on our social media sites and send us an email to mojackpod at gmail.com. Thanks again for all the support, and we hope to see you next week.